0: This week's parsha is Parsha Vayechi, and I guess the highlight of the parsha of Vayechi is the Birchas Yaakov, the blessings that Yaakov Avinu gave to the Shvutei Ka, to the Shvatim. And I remember as a little child, um, there was a uh, a Rebbe that I had that made us memorize. All of the Birchas Yaakov, it was very important to to have all of that in our heads at a young age. And when you think of Birchas Yaakov, you think of positive blessings, a father on his deathbed giving over the Messeyra, the the goodness, sweet words to his uh, abiding children, but then as you grow older, you read some of these brachas, quote-unquote, that Yaakov Inu gave to his children, and it's quite shocking that they don't sound a whole lot like brachas. The first three sons, in fact, right from the get-go, right out of the gate, uh, you would not want to be probably the recipient of such brachas. who was rightfully, he was the firstborn, you'd think that he was going to get... Uh, everything and Yaakovino said uh, that that's not going to happen. That because you were uh, so acted so quickly uh, and hastily and, and rashly when you switched the beds with a whole miso with billow, so Pachas Kamayim Al because you had this hastiness of running water, Al you're not going to get more than the other sons. You're not going to get Kishnaim, and you're not going to get the Malchus. That's going to go elsewhere. That's going to go to Yehuda. And then Shimon and Levi were up next for their brachas, and Shimon and Levi, Shimon and Levi, you acted with arms. You took up arms against, the, uh, against Shechem, and al uh, Nafshi I don't want anything to do with you," says Yaakovin. I don't want my name mentioned anywhere associated with you because of that act of violence that you did. And then comes Yehuda, and Rashi brings that Yehuda at this point was starting to. Step back. He didn't really want a bracha from Yaakov Avinu. At the rate that Yaakov Avinu was going, it didn't look too pretty. And Yuda was, you know, walking backwards. He was afraid of what Yaakov would say to him. And Yaakov Avinu had to appease him and say, No, 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 Yehuda, you can come forward. Don't worry about it. I'm going to have something nice to say, positive to say to you. What's going on over here? How are these considered to be the brachas of Yaakov? This is Birchas Yaakov. I mean, it's true that the rest of the brothers pretty much did much better, but to call all of these sukim, Birchas Yaakov, the brachas of Yaakov, I think needs a lot of understanding. You know, to paraphrase the, uh, the famous quote, with friends like this, who needs enemies? Like, with brachas like this, who needs Kualos? If this is the brachas that are being given over to the first three children... So then, how is this a bracha? Well, you know, could you make it worse? And what I thought to say was something very simple, but I think it's something very true. That we don't like criticism. None of us like to be told what we're doing wrong, how we should improve ourselves, we don't like that. That's a natural thing that goes back from time immemorial. Nobody, it's not just our generation, maybe we're especially sensitive to criticism, but going back forever, nobody ever likes to be criticized. We have egos, Baruch Hashem, we like positive reinforcement, we like being told how great we are, and if somebody ever says to us something that's slightly negative, then we chafe and we, we wince and we don't like it and we push back sometimes. And there's reason for that. We don't like being criticized because we like feeling good about ourselves. We don't like being told what we're doing wrong. We want to be told what we're doing right. But that's when criticism comes from a stranger, from somebody that we feel really doesn't have the right or the qualifications to, to, to preach to us. I don't want you lecturing to me. Who are you to lecture me about how I should be learning better, how I should be davening better, how I should be behaving in a different way? You're, no, you're not perfect yourself. When it comes to a father, when a father gives criticism to a child, to a son or to a daughter, Everything is different. Everything is different. Or at least it should be. Because that's really the primary role of a parent, to mold and to develop and to cultivate the next generation. And if a parent does not have the right to criticize, obviously it has to be done in the right way. It can't be abusive. It can't be, you know, in any way, uh, you know... Violent or, or, or too negative. It has to be sugar-coated, of course. But a parent has to have the license and the ability to tell a child right from wrong. And when a child hears a parent telling them criticism, it shouldn't be taken as an offensive thing, how, how dare you tell me what I should be doing or what I should not be doing. A child should be taking that criticism from a parent in the most positive way possible because that's what a parent's role is. If you're not gonna hear right from wrong from a parent, who's gonna tell you what you're doing wrong? How are you ever gonna change? How, are you ever gonna improve if, a, if you're cutting off a parent from telling you what they should be doing. Who's going to tell you, you know, that you have to brush your teeth every morning and every night? If you don't hear that from a parent, who's going to tell you? So a parent has to say, you've got to brush your teeth, or else uh, you're going to have cavities, or else you're going to, you know, regret it later. You have to take care of yourself. You have to exercise. You have to uh, eat properly. You have to wear a coat when it's cold out. If your parents are not going to tell you that, then who will tell you that? Parents have the obligation to tell you that, and a child has an obligation to listen respectfully and to absorb and to appreciate and to cherish the musr and the teichachah that a parent gives. That's the nature of the essence of a parent-child relationship. It's not all just love and hugs and kisses and and chocolate chip cookies and milk. It's also a lot of critique, criticism, again, all done in the right way, but it has to be done because it's important. This is how a child develops healthy, normally, how they can improve themselves, how they can change their behavioral patterns because they have to, we all have to. These are actually Psukim and Mishle. What I'm saying to you is not psychobabble, it's not, uh, you know, 20th, 20th century, 21st century uh, um, Chachma. This is something that goes back to the time of Shleim Melech. Shleim Melech writes in Mishle at the beginning, in Perak, Aleph, Psukim Chesim, Tassi's are famous Psukim. Or at least the first pasuk of the two that I'm gonna quote you is very famous. The second one, I would venture to say, nobody knows the second follow up The first Haslok you know. Shema binim the Abicha, the ishtayras Ishtarasimacha. That's the way, in fact, the, the Geras Ramban, the famous, arguably the most famous letter in Jewish history, starts out. Shema binim Listen, my son, to the Musr, to the teachings, to these harsh teachings. Of your father, the altita shtarisimechan, do not forsake the teachings of your mother. Meaning, when your father and mother give you taichacha, when they give you musr, when they give you hadracha, when they give you guidance—not just love and kisses—but they give you the stern truth of how you have to behave. Don't forsake it. Don't don't just wash it away and say, eh. You know, these guys they're they're, they're they're they they don't know what they're talking about and you know they're old fogies and they're fossils and they, you know, different generation and they have no right to tell me how to conduct my affairs. Zakshwa Shemabini listen well when your parents and mother when your father and mother give you musr, each in their own way. One is called Musr, one is called tairas, but basically in their own way. A mother and a father each have their own way of giving over, presenting their their guidance to a child. And you have to listen well and heed their advice. That pasuk we know. The pasuk after that is a chiddish. Sholem follows up that whopper of a pasuk by saying, Ki livi'as because they are a graceful wreath, for your head, upon your head. The musr of the parent is like a beautiful tiara or a wreath of some sort on your head. It's a crown for you. And it's a necklace around your throat, around your neck. What does that mean? What does that mean? That the teachings of your parents are like these very chasheva jewelry on your head and on your neck. What does that mean? So there's a, a well-known al And this al has to be remembered. It's a, it's, I think it's a famous al I saw it quoted in Rav Yaakov Galinsky, and he makes it out like it's a Push it. Everybody knows this al I didn't know it at the time. So don't feel bad if you don't know it. But it's, a, it's such a beautiful al Listen to what he says. He says that jewelry is something that the person wearing the jewelry never complains about how heavy it is. If you buy your kawa, um, you know, a very hush of a rock, a diamond ring that's, uh, you know, three carat, four carat, five carat, kaviachot. She's not gonna say, I, "I'm gonna take it back." You know, it's too heavy for my finger. Like I can't carry. You know, if you give her a suitcase to carry, or if you she goes shopping and she brings home, you know, logs home, you know, groceries from the shop, she'll complain that that's too heavy. I, you know, I need some help. She'll never complain that the that the ring that you got her is too heavy. It's a rock. I can't carry it. Take it back. I want a little diamond chip next time. That's not. You're not gonna hear that. But you got. You get her a tennis bracelet. You know, heavy. That's beautiful. Uh, make it heavier. A necklace, a tiara, all jewelry. No one will ever, a man or a woman, will never complain that jewelry is too heavy. Why? Because it's a pleasure. It gives me covet when I when I wear it. It's like I'm proud of it. I, I'm, I'm the wearer of very chashev jewelry, so it's not heavy. I'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm I could find the strength, uh, Baruch Hashem, to, to wear it because I'm so proud of it. I don't look at it as being something that's a, a burden for me. I look at it as an ornament, as something that adorns my beauty. Says the Alshich, that's what Mishlei is telling us. Shema bini, tita mecha. Don't make it like a you know a terrible thing. I don't want to listen to what my father says, my mother. They keep criticizing me. Leave me alone. No. That's not the way to look at it. Look at the words of your parents, harsh though they may be, as jewelry. Understand that it might be heavy. It might be that the words, that the content, that the concepts of what they're saying is extreme and it sounds very hard to, uh, to understand and to bear. They, they tell you things sometimes and you don't really yeah. want to listen to them. You don't want to accept it because you think that you're smarter, and the way that you're doing it is better. But understand, says Shleim that they've been around longer. They're doing it for your best interest. They have only you in mind when they're giving you musa. It's not about them, it's about you. It's, they want to improve your ways. If you're not studying hard enough, they say study harder. If you're doing things that are that are not safe, they're going to say, you know, I want you to be safe. If you're going out with a girl and they think that she's absolutely wrong for you, so think about what they're saying. They might have a point. Accept what they're saying because they mean it for your best. It shouldn't be heavy for you. It should be like those jewels that you're proud of. Baruch Hashem, my parents are giving me over good good advice, good messages things that I can improve my ways, that I should be able to uh, carry them proudly. I understand that my parents are smarter than me and they have more of a missire than I do and that they are doing it for my best. Maybe they're seeing something that I can't see because I'm not objective. They should be like those jewels that are, that are light for a person to carry. Appreciate them. Wear them proudly. Because they are an ornament to you, they will adorn you going forward. You will cherish those words of your mother and your father. There's another pasuk in Mishlei in Paragimol pasuk Yud Aleph. Musar Hashem b'ni Al-Timas. the musar that Hashem gives you. Also, don't be disgusted by it. Don't get upset. They to so sometimes the Rebbein Hashem gives us Musser. A person gets sick, a person gets into an accident, a person uh, loses a lot of money and you get angry, but you realize that there's a message from HaKadosh Baruch but you refuse to hear it. Don't do that. Don't be sickened by Musser. Because Hashem is just giving you the Musser because He loves you. And listen to what Shlom Malach ends the Pesach with. Ucha'av es ben And a father, like, a, like to a son, will appease him, will love him. What do those words mean? So Rashi and all the mafarshim say this is what it means. A parent gives musr to a child. The parent doesn't want to scold the child just for the sake of scolding a child. If a parent scolds a child, it's because he loves the child. A lot of times when, I, you know, when I'm telling my, my kids something and you know, they don't like what I'm saying, I say, I'm telling you this because I love you. You think that I'm angry at you. You think I'm telling it to you to criticize you. If I really didn't like you, I wouldn't tell you. I'd let you just you know, go off on your own and do this forever and, and see the, the consequences on your, on your own. I'm telling you this because it's not easy for me to tell you, and I'm sure it's not easy for you to listen to it, but I'm telling it to you because I love you and I care about you. And what happens after you criticize a child? What happens after a parent, a, a normal parent, gives Musser to a child or scolds a child or, or you know, punishes a child? There should be a period right after that of embracing, of loving. Like you want to double down on your love because you gave the child musr and now you want to hug the child. I know big Bali Musser or big chachamen that like they'll give their child a, you know, a, a proverbial patch and then right after they, they, they do that to the child they go and they give the child a hug and a kiss. It, it sounds like a stira, but it's not. I, I'm giving you musr because I love you. You shouldn't take it the wrong way, and I want to argue in order to show you that that it was all about love. Uha'abes <laughs> ben yirtsa, and that's what happens with Hashem also. He gives us musr, but then after the musr is over, after the sickness, Rahman al-San, after the bad thing happens, prepare for a great giant hug and a kiss from the Ruban That's always how it happens. I think we have sometimes we have very bad days. And some some people come over to me and say, I had a a terrible day today. This happened. I said, prepare for tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be awesome. A lot of times that happens. Hashem gives us Musa, we're supposed to take it. And then once he gives us the musr, he hugs us. He gives us a great day. He gives us a great experience. The love that a parent has for a child... Creates from a matzah of taichacha punishment, it's actually a bracha. The taychacha, the musr that a parent gives a child, it's tough, it's hard to take, it's, it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's really a bracha. If a child is listening well to the underlying love that a parent has when he's giving over the musr, it changes the whole thing from a teichachah to a bracha. There's a famous story about the, one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he used to call him the Mitla Rebbe. I think he was the second Lubavitcher Rebbe. He was the son, if I'm not mistaken, of the Balatanya. And the Balatanya was, of course, the first Chabad Rebbe, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe and the Mittler Rebbe when he was a young boy used to always obviously be by his father and one Shabbos he happened to be away from his father and he was um, at Shabbos in a different city and he was listening to the Teichacha they were laning the Parsha of Teichacha and in the middle of the Teichacha the Mittler Rebbe fainted on the spot in the middle of the Beis Medrash wherever he was and when he came to, so they asked him, like, are you okay? Is everything okay? He says, yeah, I just was listening to the Teichachah, and I, I was listening to the harshness of it. And it's frightening. If you read the Teichachah in the English, it's, like, really, really frightening. And, and you know, and, and so he was listening to it, and he said, so I couldn't take it. I was, like, so scared and petrified and mortified about the words of Teichachah that the Rebbeinah was giving, I fainted. So they asked him, is that a minute that you have every year? I mean, you're not one year old. You're like, you know, 18, 19, 25 years old, whatever it was. You know, do you have, the, do you listen every year? Is that, is that what happens? He says, no. He says, my father's the balkairi normally. And when my father lanes the teichachah, and I've always heard my father lane the teichachah, it always sounds like brachis when he's laying it. This is the first year that I wasn't home and I hear it from a stranger. It's pure teichachah, I can't take it. I think that's a very great mushle of what it should be like when we get musr from our parents. We shouldn't be listening to taifa, we should be cherishing them like like jewelry. They're not heavy, it's it's supposed to be light, it's supposed to be acceptable and appreciated and cherished because it's so important for a child to get musr from a parent. That's what childhood is, I'm not, again, obviously there's exceptions and I'm not, you know, I can't go into everyone's life and I certainly can't go into my own life, but, you know, it, not everything is always perfect and I'm not trying to make every parent perfect and every child you know, every situation is different. I'm talking about, let's say, in a pure perfect world. Pure perfect parents, pure perfect children and the, the, the messiah of a parent to a child how it should be. And if it wasn't like this with you growing up, then it should be when you have children in Mitzvah Hashem, that's how it should be. It should be given over with love, even if it's Teichacha, and it should be accepted by a child in the way it was given, and that's with a lot of love. And and hearing the Teichacha is really a bracha. I want to just add parenthetically that the same thing should be true in a Rebbe Talmud relationship. A rabbi relationship is sort of very similar to a father-child relationship in, in a perfect world, and if a Rebbe is giving over Musr to us, a lot of times we like oh, don't don't criticize me. You know, you can't do that. But if you're listening well and you're listening carefully. It's so vitally important to be able to hang on to every word and to accept it and to appreciate it because that's where we grow. We grow from getting criticism. Sometimes Talmidim come over to me and say, Rebbe, can you give me, you know, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And I don't know, maybe they got that from, you know, they used to do that, I don't know. But like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. That I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like I want to do that. But sometimes you see a Talmud that's not doing well, I remember one once in the early years of yeshiva there was a Talmud who was a real he had such potential very sweet boy and a wonderful boy and he was just like not doing the right thing and I called him over once and I, you know, I tried to be as nice as possible I said you're not doing the right you're schmoozing during davening and then you're missing davening and, you're, and like he started crying I'm like, I, don't, I didn't say anything wrong but I you know and, we, and then he you know he you know he wasn't happy with me that I was giving him the Musa. But he ended up growing from that and he was really upset at me that I dared tell him anything. But we got so close after that that, you know, we, we keep in touch till today and every Purim he comes to my house and I was the Kedushim by his chasna. If I hadn't given him the Musa it wouldn't have been a relationship. Sometimes it's important to have that Musr factor between a Rebbe and A Talmud, but it has to be with a lot of love and a lot of patience and a lot of understanding. But it's cherished. If you it doesn't no one likes hearing musr, but sometimes if it comes out in the right way and the right, it's so valuable. You gain so much from it. That's how you grow. Otherwise, I think I'm perfect. If somebody tells me you're not perfect, buddy, you, you got to do something. You're you're doing something a little bit wrong. You're not, you know, doing this right. You're not doing. That. I saw you do this, and that's not appropriate. You have to do it differently. Different. If I if I don't do that, then that's then I'm not doing my responsibility as a rebbe. And if a, if a if a talmud or a child hears from a parent slash rebbe Musr and absorbs it and takes it in and realizes that. I need this. I need to be told right from wrong. They could grow and they could mature and they could become wonderful, productive human beings that could mammoth change the entire nature of their life. I remember once, this is just Agav. I was speaking in a shul, and this is like my early years of, 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 of giving drushes. I was in a shul in Flatbush, and the Rav asked me, so said, I'm not going to be here, you know, Shal Shittis, do you mind speaking? So it was the first time I was speaking in public, in, in, maybe ever, you know, in a, in a real shul. And, and I prepared for it, and I gave a drusha and I thought it was, like, phenomenal. I really, and people would shut up, amazing. And I got standing ovation came out. It was, like, very well received. Then one guy comes over to me. He was a friend of mine. He wasn't a parent. He wasn't a rev. He was a friend of mine. And he said to me, you know, you spoke really well, but you did one thing wrong. and It was really annoying. Whenever, you know, whatever it was, I, I was saying something and I was like repeating a word. You know, sometimes you get into like the word like. So I went to the store and like, I, I went in and like, you know, he's like, you kept saying, I don't know what the word was, but like I kept on saying a certain word and he said it was really, you spoke amazing, but that, and I was like so upset at him. Like what kind of friend are, you know, this is what I was thinking. Like what kind of friend are you? That you're telling me criticism. Like, why, why would you tell me that? Why well, can you just be happy for me? And, like, you know, you're probably jealous. You know, you're thinking and you think. But that was the best friend that I had. Because had he not told me that, I would have just continued doing that and think that's perfect. But when somebody actually tells you you're doing something wrong, you work on it and you shape yourself and you polish whatever you're doing, and, and it gets better. Whatever, whatever, if this is true in everything, in learning, in music, in art, and anything that you're doing, sports, if you think you're perfect, you know, I have a perfect, I remember when I was on a basketball team in, in, you know, in elementary school, so, you know, you think your shot is perfect, and your thing is perfect, everything is perfect, and then you have a, a real coach, and he says, you're not shooting the ball, well. what, what do you mean, I'm getting it, no, 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 you, your, your, your form is all wrong, your dribble is wrong, you have to do this different, that different, and you don't like hearing that, what's he talking about? But like if you actually listen and you're it, you actually become greater as a result of it. It hurts a little because we like think we're we're already like, you know, perfect. But when you realize that the person is trying to do it for your own good, then if you accept it the right way, that taychacha becomes a bracha. The taychacha flips to a bracha by definition because taychacha is the greatest bracha that you can have. If somebody's telling you, do something different, you're not doing it the right way. You know, I see that you're doing, you're learning, but you're learning uh, this way instead of doing learning that way. You're, you have a, you know, you, I know that you're trying hard, but you could be doing it much better if you would only do this way. You're davening, you know, you should be davening this way instead of that way. And it comes from the right person at the right time. Accept it. And you should be proud to accept it like jewelry. It should adorn you. Baruch Hashem, I have somebody that's shaping me, that's, that's molding me, that's mentoring me, and it's important. So what I wanted to say very simply was that the brachas that Yaakov Avinu gave to his sons, and we started, hey, this ain't brachas, Reuven, Shimon, Levi. How do you call those brachas? Start the brachas maybe from Yehuda, but the first three are not brachas. And what I'd like to submit to you is that Reuven, Shimon, Levi—they got the greatest brachas more than the other Shvatim. More than the other Shvatim were the brachas that Reuven, Shimon, Levi got. You know why? Because their father was giving them musr from the heart. Right before he died, I'm telling you, don't be upset at me. I know you're going to be upset at me, and that's why he waited till the end. But this is what you need to know. You acted rashly. You acted violently. You have to curb your temper. And you have to make sure to improve your midas. I'm telling you this not because I want to scold you, but because I want you to know going forward, this is something you have to work on. I love you. And if you change this, you're going to be perfect. But if you don't change it, it's terrible. The brachas that Reuven, and Shimon, and Levi got were the greatest brachas, much more than Yehuda. Yehuda, to throw roses at somebody doesn't help me. If somebody tells me you're amazing, I love your 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 shmuz and I love your svarim. I love your you know you're you're such a great guy. It doesn't do anything. It just inflates my ego. It doesn't do anything for me. It's it's, it's, it's probably not so good. But the people that tell me, if it's told in the right way, that you know you, this could be better, that could be better, that's valuable. That's something that I could actually use. Constructive criticism, we don't like it, but there's nothing more valuable than that. If somebody that I trust tells me something that I could do better, it, it uh, initially you don't like hearing it, but but it will change me. It will improve me. There's no greater bracha than that. There's a story with Rav Shimon Schwab. Rav Shimon Schwab was known as the Ish Emes. That was his. You know, every bevel has their own unique title and life that, that, that Kali Yisrael has unanimously sort of given them carnated them with Rav Schwab I remember when he was nifter, he was on the cover of the Jewish Observer which was uh, the, uh, it's not around anymore but it was a very good mag- monthly magazine put out by the Abidus Yisrael of America and if you ever want to see them I have I think all of the back editions of them in my office because they were all great I saved them. I think you can get them online, also. But the cover of the Jewish—this was before the time that they had Mishpacha and Ami and all these weeklies. It was like a very chash of a magazine that really never had a substitute. I remember I was at an Agoda convention and somebody like suggested that they start printing it again. There was like a you know violent uh, round of applause, like everybody like immediate. It was a very. It wasn't like one of these quickie. You know, every week have to have another big magazine. It was like thoughtful, and the editing was very good, and the the content was was very mature and, and thoughtful, and a lot of great thinkers contributed to it, and the daily Israel had a had a had a place to to put their thoughts out. So anyway, on the cover of the Jewish Observer was of Shimon Hashanah, and I remember it said on it the Ish Emes, in giving. Him, you know, the obituaries that were said about him in that magazine, but his, his entire Mahus was an Ish MS. He was a person that was impeccably honest. He was a person that there was no shtick. He didn't have any tolerance. He was allergic to anything that was dishonest or smacked of any uh, immorality or, or any uh, fiscal uh, you know, improprieties. He was very exact and he had no. Absolutely no room in his life for any shtick. And he would go above and beyond the, the letter of the law with his income taxes and with telling accountants what to do. And lawyers had to... Everything had to be on, on the highest level of, of mahadrim and ha So he was known as the Yishemist. And Listen to this story. When he was a young boy, growing up in Frankfurt, he had a very a family... All his brothers, also, tremendous g'daylam in their own right. He had one brother, uh, Reb Mardachai Schwab, who was a mashkiach in a yeshiva in, uh, in Muncie. He was known as a, one of the hadar I just was at his kever, I think this past Sunday. If you ever want to... I, I went with, my, with, one, with one of my daughters to the Ribnitz Nitzar his kever in Muncie, and then, like, right through the gate, like, about maybe 100 feet away maybe a little bit more, is R. Mardichai Schwab's kever, And I, I find myself so moved when I go to that kever. maybe even more than the Rivnitzer. He was at Tzadik Yisrael, and we've spoken about him in the past. Anyway, R. Schwab had, had a brother in, 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 London, in, in, in England who was also a, uh, a tremendous Tzadik in Gateshead. In any event, R. Schwab was a young boy. His mother sends him on a Friday, like today, to the local Jewish grocery store to get groceries for Shabbos. And she gave him, let's say, the equivalent of a twenty dollar bill and said, get this, get a dozen eggs, get some chicken, get this, whatever it was. Anyway, she knew exactly how much all of this should cost. It's not like today, you know, take a credit card, you have no idea what she knew exactly how much it should cost. And she knew how much change to be expecting to get back. Now Schwab, when he was a young boy, he was a young boy, so he saw like a chocolate bar in the store, so he was hungry, so he, he bought that also, and he, uh, he basically used up all the whole $20, and he ate the chocolate bar on the way home, he comes home and uh, his mother says thank you for all the groceries, where's the change? So Schwab didn't cop that his mother knew exactly how much change, he said, sorry, there, there was no change. Not not too amistic. Mother didn't say anything, but she told her husband. And that Friday night, you know, Yekis and others, they bench their children Friday night, so all the children are standing online, you know, waiting eagerly to get their father's paternal blessing. And it's Schwab's turn and he puts his head down. To his uh, father, and his father puts his hands on his head, and he says, "Name, Aganav doesn't get a bracha." And that stinging rebuke from a father. His son wanted to get a bracha from his father's father. He said, No, 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 you, you you didn't give back the all the change. You're a Ghanab, I'm not giving you a bracha this Friday night. Wait till next week. It was such a sting rebuke. It was such a teichacha. It was such a klala. But you know what happened to Rav Schwab as a result of that one bracha that seemed to be a, a teichacha instead of a bracha? He changed his entire ma'as. He became the person that would die and have a, a cover with a title, the Ishemis. Had his father not given him that rejection, that klala, that taychacha, that musr, I don't know what would have been with Rav He probably would have ended up being a fine atam chacham and a chash yid, but I don't know if he would have become the gadol that he became, and specifically that quintessential man of truth. How did that happen? It just magically happened. It didn't happen magically. It happened because of that non-bracha that his father gave him. That's how he became who he became. From that one Misa, that was the launching pad of who Rav Schwab would ultimately become. Would you call that Misa a bracha or a klala? Did his father bench him that Friday night or did he give him taifa that Friday night? I would submit that there was no greater bracha that his father could bench him with that Friday night but that one act of musr. He didn't get a bracha, it was a klala. No, no, no. That was the greatest bracha that could ever be given to Rav Schwab. It didn't feel good. It pained him. It embarrassed him. It humiliated him. It made him probably want to run to his room and cry. But it was from that that he developed into who he became. Because they are livia's chain. They're jewelry. They are, adorn you. It makes you great. A rebbe, a father, a friend who gives techecha, a in the right way with a lot of love, but I see you're doing something wrong and I, I, I need to tell you this because if I don't tell you this, then no one's going to tell it to you. And I'm doing it with a lot of love, but please listen well. Now you have a choice when you hear what they say. You could say, get mad at you know, get mad at them and say, you know what, leave me alone, it's disgusting. How can you do that? And you know, how dare you, and, and be very indignant because your ego has been bruised and you've been you've been you've been told that you know you're doing something wrong, and, and don't you know that I, I'm a good judge of, of character and, and of, of what to do and right and wrong, and you're questioning all that, you're putting all that into my that's one way of dealing with it, but then. All you're doing is you're digging your heels in and you're never going to change. But when a person is able to listen, when his parents, when his rabbeim, when people that we trust and, and people that we respect tell us something that we're doing wrong, that's the greatest bracha. There's no greater bracha. If you were to ask me which of the Shvatim, got the greatest bracha. It's not Yehuda. Yehuda got tremendous. He walked away very happy. Yehuda was mamish, you know, he, he won the, the lottery. He was able to get all the memshoah, he chaptah, uh, reuvenz, and, you know, he, tremendous. Gura Yehuda, Yasef did very well. Um, all of them, God they, they, uh, Menashe, Ephraim, Menasher, they all did beautifully. But I really believe, and I'm not just saying this because I need a shmooz. I really believe that the greatest bracha was given to Reuven, Shimon, and Levi. They didn't love what they heard. They were scared to death, and it really probably bothered them. But they were able to understand that, I need to, to listen, because my father's doing this lashmah. I do have a problem with Pachas Kamayam. I am too, I act too rashly. And what I do with Shem, what we do with Shem was wrong. It was morally wrong, it was a khila It embarrassed our father. We have to figure out, explore internally what we did wrong, so that should not happen again. But from that comes growth. That's how we develop, that's how we become great. The Chazanish says that we lost the art of Taifika. There's no real mitzvah according to the of because we blew we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to give it over in the right way, people don't know how to accept it in the right way. But that's true for people in general. If I, you know, if I go over to, to a friend of mine, I start giving him musr, it's it's just not gonna ring true and it's not good. But if a parent gives musr, for a Rebbe gives Musser, if somebody that we really trust and, 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 and respect and, and know that they love us and they care about us, if they give me Musser, it's, 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 beautif- it, it's beautifying me. It's adorning me. It's, it's the jewelry that's not heavy. It's light. It's beautiful. Wow, you gave me direction in life. Were it not for you, I wouldn't know that that's, that I was doing something wrong. And you told me that I was doing something wrong. Now I'm going to improve and now I'm going to do something right. there's nothing greater than that nothing greater than being told musr because musr is how we develop musr is how we grow this is is how we want to attain great we all want to be great we have to learn the proper form just like in basketball we have to know the proper a golfer needs to know how to get his swing right a singer somebody told me like you know the greatest singer is that everybody enjoys their their singing You know, all the great Jewish superstars, they all still get voice lessons. You think like these guys, you know, they've been singing perfectly since they're 20 years old. Why do you need to go to get voice? Because if you really care about what you do, if you take it seriously, you can never be perfect. There's always more to grow and how to change. And this is something that it's so important to learn, that when people give us musr, we shouldn't look at it as a teichacha, as a stinging rebuke. We should look at it as a tremendous bracha. When HaKadosh Baruch gives us musr, parents, rabbayim, people that love us and care about us, tell us that I don't think you're doing something right. I think you've got to do it a little different. You know, I saw that you weren't uh, so sweet when you, uh, did this and you weren't, you know, you didn't give that person the proper cover, and you didn't, uh, you know, you know, you didn't help ask to take out the garbage. You didn't help me in with the packages. You didn't, uh, brush your teeth. You didn't do, you know, what, all these things, Yeah, you know, we could look at it like, stop criticizing me. I don't want to hear it. Or we could say, thank you. You're telling me something that's going to change my life. If I learn this at home that I have to help with the packages and I have to set the table and I have to clear the table without being asked or screamed at, then when I get married, I'm going to be doing this naturally. Also, if I have to throw my socks in the in the laundry when I'm a buffer, then when I get married, I know that I have to do that. You know, after I, you know, if I, all these things are so helpful. Accept it. Listen, they're not doing it to hurt you. They're doing it to help you. The Birchas Yaakov, all of them were brachas in different ways. Yaakov, each child got what they needed in their own way, but the Teichah wasn't a klala. If you hear from your parents the Teichah in the right way, you're not going to faint. You're going to think it's a beautiful parsha in the Torah because it's the seeds of growth. It's Hashem, we should all be to have influences on, upon our lives that aren't afraid to tell us what we're doing wrong. And we should have the ability to be macabre, what they're saying, in the right way, so that we could actually improve our ways. And amidst Hashem, all of the clolus will be ne'apach le'brachos. Have a good Shabbos.